Today on CityCast Philly, it's the Friday News Roundup. We're talking about how Danilo Calvacante was captured. City Council voted on legislation regarding safe injection sites. COVID rates are up in the city. And who's leading the search for Temple University's new president? It's Friday, September 15th. I'm Trinaynuri, and here's what Philly's talking about. Joining me this week is Kenny Cooper, suburban reporter for WHYY News. Hey, Kenny. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. Aubrey Whalen, health reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hey, Aubrey. Hello. And Oliver Sabo, reporter at Temple News. Thanks for being here on CityCast Philly. Thanks for having me. Okay. Usually I do the icebreaker, but we have tons of hot topics to get into this week. Big, big news this week was the capture of Danilo Cavalcante, the prisoner who escaped a Chester County prison back on August 31st and went on a 14-day run. Kenny, how did law enforcement finally capture him? So he he bounced around quite a lot throughout Chester County and ended up in the northern part of Chester County. And I want to say late Tuesday night going into early Wednesday morning, that's when it all really came to a head. Uh, a burglar alarm went off in northern Chester County and South Coventry Township and uh, police converged on the area. They didn't find anything. But because, you know, there were so many different law enforcement agencies and so many resources available, there was actually a DEA plane that was flying overhead that uses, uh, for lack of a better word, a, some type of thermal imaging camera. And it was able to pick up a heat signal nearby. And that was from Danello. Yes. It was tracking him. It was on his tail around 1 a.m. in the morning on Wednesday morning. But then a storm moved through. And this actually made things worse, but also kind of made things better. Okay. For the entirety of the search, one of the big difficulties was, you know, the conditions. It was so hot. It was lots of thick brush. But with this, uh, you know, storm system that moved in, it really cooled things down. So it forced the plane to land. But it gave these search teams on the ground, you know, an idea of where this guy was. So they surrounded the area. And as the morning came and the storm moved out, the plane came back. They were able to get another image of him. And mm. that's when they kind of converged on daylight and was able to capture him. And there was a canine that actually took him down, right? Yes. So as uh, Danilo Cavalcante was hiding under a pile of logs or between a pile of logs, he, he tried to crawl away uh, at the last minute once he realized that he was surrounded. And as he was kind of inching his way through the brush, that's when the uh, police dog was able to jump at him and lunge at him. Do we know any word about new charges that he could face after this 14-day run that he was on? So those discussions about charges are still being had with the district attorney's office, also in consult with the uh, Pennsylvania State Troopers. So they haven't really made these decisions yet. It's presumed that he's going to get charged for his escape. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of what the specific charges are. I believe it is a felony charge. So it's not, you know, just a slap on the wrist, but he was already serving a life sentence. What is troubling to me, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but like you said earlier this week when we spoke with you, Kenny, this wasn't the first time someone escaped from a Chester County prison. And then earlier this year, we saw two men escape from a Philadelphia prison. It's upsetting to know that people can get out of prison and that all of these stories are happening so fast. Like, how do y'all feel about that? 
Well, that was kind of the first thing that the Chester County uh, commissioners, the three commissioners addressed uh, shortly after Cavalcante's arrest. And it was, you know, hey, we understand there's some concern, you know, some fear. But look, the Chester County prison officials are making, you know, these immediate changes to fix security in the prison. They were already bringing in security contractors to kind of make the prison exercise yards inescapable. And they're still, you know, trying to review what other changes they need to be made to the prison. Shifting gears, Aubrey, you've been following how COVID numbers are picking up in the city. Tell us about that. It's a little bit harder to track COVID in the way that we were kind of used to tracking it in the early days of the pandemic, where cities, counties, and the states were reporting just cases in addition to hospitalizations and deaths from COVID. Because the public health emergency has ended, we're not really tracking cases in the same way anymore. The city is continuing to track just hospitalizations and deaths. So Philly has seen a slight uptick in hospitalizations in the last month. In August, the city reported that a total of 60 people were um, hospitalized with COVID in Philadelphia. So that was as of August 31st. And that was the first time since the spring that more than 50 people were hospitalized with the virus. That's according to my colleague, Sarah Gantz, who reported this while I was on vacation. The thing to keep in mind is that cases are still way below where they were during some of the other pandemic surges, like during Omicron and Delta. But still, it's really a reminder that COVID is still a part of our lives. Um, It's going to be a part of our lives. And also, we're heading into flu season. For sure. Kids are back in school. I'm like, are y'all washing your hands? (laughs) Bring the sanitizer. What are health officials urging people do now, you know, and like you just said, especially since we're about to head into the fall season? Right. So, Definitely stay at home if you feel sick. Stock up on your COVID tests. Another thing happened this week where um, the city put out a release saying that a lot of COVID tests they had ordered turned out to be invalid. I, I saw that. Yeah. Right. The manufacturer of these tests said that they did not make the tests that the city got, you know, about 105,000 tests. Something like 4,000 of them have been given out by the city health department itself. They sent another, you know, some, something, something around 40,000 to uh, local organizations that they partner with to hand out COVID resources. So, yes, um, if you have a FlowFlex COVID test, which is the brand that the fake tests are, check the lot number on them. The lot number COV2110012. Any FlowFlex rapid tests with that lot number are invalid. It means they weren't made by the manufacturer of those tests. Who knows if they work or not? So don't don't use them. If you have a fake test, you can go to the health department resource hubs. There's five of them across the city and get them replaced. And then just other, you know, suggestions are consider wearing a mask in crowded indoor spaces. Obviously test yourself if you feel like you might have been exposed, if you feel sick. And also, if you do get sick, if you do have COVID and you're high risk, consider talking to your doctor about some of the um, treatments that are available, like Paxlovid, because that's a, you know, a really effective treatment. Now, I want to shift and talk about city council is coming back after their summer break. And, you know, we're we're doing this taping on Thursday. Um, so later today, city council is scheduled to vote on a safe injection site legislation. You reported that this legislation appears to have enough votes to pass. 
So what could that mean for the future of these particular facilities in Philly? This has been a very long running battle um, in, in city council. It's since at least 2018 when Mayor Kenny announced that he would support the opening of a site, but not financially support it, just encourage the opening of a site that the city would not run itself. So supervised injection sites, supervised drug consumption sites, overdose prevention sites, which are all terms for the same thing, are places where people can use drugs under supervision, usually the healthcare provider. People will monitor um, patients for signs of an overdose. They'll revive them if they exhibit symptoms of an overdose. A common misconception about them is that they provide drugs to people. They do not. People have to come in with their own drugs, but they do provide equipment to more safely use those drugs. So clean syringes, sterile equipment for preparing the drugs for injection. Some places, the the New York City site has a room for people to smoke in. So it's not necessarily like an injection site. There's only two operating in the country right now. Both of them are in New York, but they do operate in dozens of other countries around the world and have for about 30 years. And so how do our council members feel about having these facilities possibly in our city? Katsi Lozada is the council person for the area that a site would most likely open in. Um, Kensington is sort of the epicenter of the city's drug trade. It's where some of the most visible injection of fentanyl and other drugs occurs. And she's concerned about the impact that a um, safe injection site would have on the neighborhood. A lot of the major concerns around around these sites involve how it will affect the community living around it, whether will, it will attract more people who use drugs to the area, um, you know, concerns about public safety around the site, that sort of thing. And and I, I think, you know, I've, I've reported on this for a long time and Kensington, the prevailing concern was like, this sort of sense almost that like opening a site in Kensington would mean like that the city was was giving up on the neighborhood, that they were just sort of consigning Kensington to a place where people use drugs always without trying to eradicate drug use or public drug use from the community. Supporters of supervised injection sites, you know, say that the whole point is that supervised injection sites get people off the street. So you don't have to see them using drugs outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing with, with this bill is that it, it it would ban safe injection sites in almost every part of the city, with the exception of a, a couple council districts. But someone who's trying to open a supervised consumption site could still go to the zoning board, but they would have to present their plans to community organizations first. And then the neighborhood would have to vote whether to support or reject the proposal. And then the zoning board can make a ruling on that. So if this passes, there still would be a path, but it would be a much more difficult and longer process. Another story I've been following this week is the search for Temple University's next president. We know that Joanne Epps is serving as acting president after former president Jason Wingard resigned back in March. And full disclosure, I graduated from Temple. I'm a proud Temple owl. Oliver, Temple's board of trustees is overseeing this process, but they've hired a firm to do some of the search, right? They have. Yeah, they hired Spencer Stewart, who is this leadership selection firm that I think also facilitated the searches for Penn State, Loyola Chicago, Penn, Um, So a good amount of regional examples. I think they're excited about what this could bring. 
Oliver, as a student, what are you hearing from other students, from faculty on campus? The Temple News took a poll um, back when Jason Wingard was here, our former president, and 92% of students disapproved of the performance from Jason Wingard. You know, I've been talking to students a lot this week about what they're looking for in the next president. And what did they say? <laughs> Most of it's transparency. Um, okay. You know, Joanne Epps has already, from what I've heard, done a much better job at being transparent and communicating to students. And people want that in the search and in their next president. Now, there were some tough issues that former President Wingard had to face, a lot of it dealing with public safety issues and um, crimes and things like that. I mean, sometimes those kind of situations are complex and heavy and takes a lot of resources. So are things improving for students where they see that things are improving or they just see that maybe communication is better? Like, what does transparency actually mean? Most of that was around the safety last year and how safety messaging was communicated. But a lot of the people I've talked to have had an issue with how available Jason Wingard was. He wasn't seen around campus that often. We didn't get the most communication from him. So part of the search is Temple has also teamed up with the Collective Genius, which is a research firm. So they'll be conducting some of those stakeholder conversations to see what students want to see in the next president. So that'll be through listening sessions, through a couple of online surveys. So I think, you know, the university is making more of an effort this time around to really take those student, parent, faculty voices into consideration. All right. That was Oliver Sabo, reporter at Temple News, Aubrey Whalen, health reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and Kenny Cooper, suburban reporter for WHYY News. Thank you so much for being here on CityCast Philly. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us. It's time for the tip of the week, where we share a life hack for living in Philly. If you're a large or a small business owner, sometimes you're wondering, where are the resources in the city? Well, I want you to check out the Department of Commerce. They have tons of helpful resources to help your business thrive in the city. They have business managers that do one-on-one sessions to help you find funding opportunities. Plus, there are business managers that speak several different languages. So check out all of the latest grants, programs, and resources by checking out their link tree. It's linktr.ee slash phlcommerce. If you have a tip of the week, we'd love to hear from you too. Call or text us at 215-259-8170. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. Our lead producer is Laura Benchoff. Our producer is Abby Fritz. Our Hey Philly newsletter editor is Brittany Valentine. And our host is me, Trinaynery. Music is by Philly's own Interminable, with additional music from All the Kimonos and James Weldon. If you enjoyed this week of episodes, Tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Philly. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend and be safe, y'all. Bye. Bye.